Hey, my podcast family, welcome back to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. We are continuing our look at 1 Corinthians because, as we noted last episode, there is so much in it that we can't do it all in one episode. I guess we could, but it would be two hours long, and neither one of us want that. So, part two. This time, we're going to be looking at chapters 5 and 7. And I'm reading from the New International Version, starting with chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Verses 13, no, 9 through 13, same chapter, chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy and idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sex, sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 25, same chapter. Now about virgins. I have no comment from the Lord, but I will give a judgment as to one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. A lot of stuff in here, right? And I know you're like, why are we talking about this in caregiving? Well, because we need to. <laughs> Chapters 5 through 7. He's addressing kind of domestic issues. That of sexual immorality and marriage. And family relationships as you read further into the chapter. I just didn't highlight some of the verses here. And we're going to address them in, in the same order. So remember Paul started up last episode, the beginning of the letter was talking about there being the church at Corinth being sanctified, being set apart, and how their behavior needed to mirror that, right? So now he's starting to highlight what they're not doing that lines up with being holy and set apart. And the very first thing is the sexual immorality. And I find it both comforting and disheartening disheartening to um what's going on 
in, in this body of believers. Comforting because we see, and when I mean we, I'm talking about body of believers. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about us collectively as a body of Christ. We see that there isn't anything new, right? And so we're what we're experiencing today is the same thing that they experienced back in that time. We are flawed human beings. And so we sin. And so we still continue to sin. So it's comforting to know that we're, we aren't doing something that's like, oh my goodness, this is the first we've ever heard of that, in a sense. And of course, it's disheartening because we haven't grown. Of course, Jesus came because of our human condition, because we are sinful. He came for that very reason. But it's disheartening to see that we haven't grown as a people now that we have all of this documentation, the word of God, the Bible, people whom he has inspired to us in this century, that we're still struggling with the same issues, that we're not sexually mature in the body of Christ. Paul references a man at the very beginning of chapter five. It's a a man who slept with his father's wife. And that's really all that we know about that situation. We don't know if the husband died off and then the son slept with his stepmama and or they want to be together now or or if he slept with her and the husband's still in the picture, his dad. Like we don't we don't know any of that. That makes for great daytime soap opera, doesn't it? I mean that happens all the time. They're mirroring what's in the Bible. Who knew? But what I find interesting and why I highlighted highlighted verse six is because they're boasting about it he's boasting about what he's done and that's where Paul is like you're you're boasting about sin in your church in the middle of their sin and debauchery they're boasting about it and that's why I'm like I it it makes sense now why why Paul got to the very immediate issues of what was going on with them in that body of believers because of their boasting It's as if they don't understand that their actions have a reflection to their relationship with Christ now that they are believers and that sexual immorality overshadows their witness. Hence Paul once again talking about them being set apart. And so he's 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 urging them to deal with the person who he called, you know, yeast who is inflicting the damage in the body of Christ to respond with correction. And so he's showing us how to deal with people, people within the church, not outside the church, because they're worldly. They're they're supposed to act that way because they have not come to know Jesus. But for those of us who have, we're supposed to be different, called apart. We're, We're the kingdom of Christ. And that kingdom looks different. And so when you have a person who isn't responding to spiritual correction and who does not want to repent, seek help to to change the behavior that they're doing, then Paul is telling us that we are to associate with them. Does that sound harsh to you? I'm sure to some of you it may because it could be a spouse, a child, a sibling, you know. To others, it may not. But when you look back over church history, 
you know, some of the varying denominations, they instruct their congregants to disassociate themselves from family members who aren't in compliance with church practices or what they believe to be biblical. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they probably can use this set of scriptures or these set of scriptures as the basis for them talking about ostracizing people from a group or excommunicating people from a, from a congregation. Paul understands that the boasting of sin signals their lack of maturity in their faith and of who God is. Remember, God is holy, and therefore he's called us to be holy through Jesus Christ. And by associating with people who are in sin and refusing to acknowledge their sin, to repent, that can lead to others doing the same thing. You begin to get clouded in your thinking of what is right and wrong. And hence, in um, verse 6 of that chapter, he reminds them that one bad ingredient in, in dough can ruin the whole loaf. Our being corrected means that um, we not only hold our lives before God, but he, we allow him to show us who we should associate with, right? We aren't an exclusive club by any stretch of the means we're not elite in that manner right we're not elitist but God has called us to love people to show his love to people but we can still be known as a people who love other peoples but who also remain holy before God and it is in the remaining holy before God that you do the self-assessments as to what am I doing anything that will cloudy my witness for Jesus? Is there impurity, you know, in my household, in my heart, in the congregation? And then you have to deal with that. Some people may honestly not know. Or some people may know, but they don't think they're going to get caught. And then when you bring it to light... And they'll change. But then you may have others like this young man who's boasting. And then that's when you have to set things right and put them out. Then Paul goes on to tackle marriage. Now we have three letters now where Paul is giving instruction on marriages. Wonder why? (laughs) Marriage is the most important, I, I believe, sacred covenant outside of our acceptance to Jesus Christ. Because a marriage is the mirror of Christ and the body of Christ, his, his, the body of Christ being the bride of Christ, right? And so it's important that we understand how to relate to each other as wives and as husbands. And this letter states how to stay in line with sexual behaviors. He also talks a little bit, not a little bit, but he goes in depth about being single versus being married, um, believing that, you know, if you're married and you have a spouse and children, they will take priority over God. But I don't think that's necessarily so. And that being single, then one is free to fully dedicate themselves to Christ. And we know some people who have been called to to be single you know various priests nuns even other individuals where they're like no I just don't want to be married they're they don't want they're not um they don't desire to have any type of sexual relationship and we know that marriage is more than just a sexual relationship but that's where sex 
is supposed to be. And so some people, they don't crave that. They don't want that. They enjoy being single and they can do what they want to. But I believe that when you have a spouse where the both of you come together and y'all are on one accord for the Lord and you seek him and place him at the center of your marriage, I know that God honors that. And he will use both of you, of them, for whatever he sees fit. And I also know that being single doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily serve God. So once again, you have to seek God for yourself to know what it is that you you really want because he's going to give you the desires of your heart. As you seek him, your desires start to mimic what he has planned for you in the first place. But going back to marriage and sexual behavior, Paul says, you know, wives, you ought to sleep with your own husbands and husbands, you sleep with your own wives. And so I think it's worth noting that in the the pagan community, under the Roman rule, it wasn't uncommon, uncommon or considered unnormal to sleep around, you know, to engage in multiple partners. I'm sure you're familiar with the word orgies where they had those all the time in the Roman Empire. And Paul is reminding them, hello, body of people at Corinth, you're supposed to be different. You've been called by God now. You're set apart. You can't engage in all of that stuff that you used to do. You just, you can't do that. And then I also find it interesting how he talks about the withholding of sex. And at the beginning of the letter, he says, now the matter that you wrote about. So they they sought his counseling, which I think is admirable. They sought counseling from him. And so they were withholding sex from each other. Now, I know females have a tendency to do this, to deny their husband sex when they're mad at them. And this scripture points that that's not godly. I remember, and, and, and I had a lot of friends who, who told me that they would do that. But I had one, one woman who told me that she didn't. She said, even if I was mad as a hornet at my husband and he wanted to have sex, I'd go ahead and have sex with him because I realized that's something that I'm supposed to do and I still want to do it. I'm a physical person, she said, and I'd be mad after it was over, which I thought was fine, funny. But barring you being ill and physically unable to engage in sex, Sex is the perk of being marriage, right? Something God made, not only to just produce children, he made it enjoyable. It's a way of sharing and experience one another in love. And so that's something that you should want to do. And if you physically don't want to, because we know when we reach a certain age, the libido goes down, go to your doctor and see what is going on. Remember, God created sex, not the porn industry. God did. So denying a partner um, isn't good. It deteriorates the marriage. And if you deny someone for too long, then they may go seek a need elsewhere. I'm not condoning it. I'm not condoning that one way or another. I'm just saying that may be a byproduct. So don't do that. We're getting really frank and honest here, aren't we? (laughs) So ladies... As we get older, our bodies aren't as young and supple as they used to be. Things start to sag and all sorts of stuff. And you may think you're unattractive. Gain a little weight, got a little pooch, 
dimples in the bottom, whatever. But I guarantee your husband doesn't think that. He doesn't think that at all. Men, they just think differently. And a lot of them, my close male friends, they claim to still see their wives as the, the, the young woman who they married. Now granted, they see that her body's changed a little bit, but at her essence, they are just as in love and they think the body is just as sexy. You know, most of them understand having children can do some things to your body. And, and you having their children may make you only more sexy to them. And so understand that he loves you and sex is a way that he expresses that to you. Doesn't matter if you put on a few pounds, doesn't matter. Go ahead and reciprocate the love that he has for you by engaging and indulging in sex with him. I know you may not want to every time because men are different than, than we are. But work something out. As Paul says, work something out, you know. Because it is well documented that sexually healthy marriages, they stay together. They stay together longer. So, I know I'm single. And you may think, what, you know, what do I have to say about this? Well, because God gave me some good sense. And I listen to my friends who are married. And I point things out to them. But this gets me to the last verse in verse 25 where Paul where Paul admits that there is nothing from God on the matter of the virgins. That's the only reason why I put this verse in here. But that he is offering an opinion based on him knowing God, right? And I find that so very freeing that he admits this isn't doctrine. This isn't something in scripture, but I believe God has provided me with some insight. And so I'm getting ready to pass it on. Now, they can take it or leave it. They probably took it. Right. But I think I think it would be wonderful if we as a people really understand the difference between what is in God's word, what are our church traditions and then what is someone else's opinion? We sort of kind of merge everything together. And then we have this distant, frayed tie to a scripture somewhere where we try to adjust everything, adjust everything too. And we need to stop that. This is why it's so important for you, for us, you and me, to know the word of God. I can't tell you now that I'm in Bible study, now that I'm in seminary and all this other thing, how reading what's in the word, I'm like, ugh. I didn't know that was in there. Been going to church all my life. Been going to Bible studies. Been going to Sunday school. But we have a tendency in the body of Christ to highlight certain scriptures. We're always talking about certain scriptures versus looking at all that is in the Bible. The good, the bad, the ugly. All of it is in the Bible. And when you look at it in its entirety, you start to see, okay, Oh, I didn't know that's what he said. Well, if, if this is in the Bible, then why do we do this at church? Study the Bible for yourself. And then understand what it is that your churches do based on your denomination. And then value good, solid, godly opinion. You can do that. So, out of all of this, how do we apply this to caregiving? Right? First of all, as caregivers, we are human. We're human. We are people 
under God who have been called by God for this season and time to care for a loved one. But we still need to nurture our souls. We still need to grow in our walk with God. So some scriptures don't have like a direct tie. Like the fruit of the spirit to me had a direct tie. This addresses who we are and our behaviors, no matter what season we find ourselves in. But in looking at it from caregiving, look at it from the aspect of what company are you keeping? Who are the people who you are allowing to help you in this season of caring for your loved one? Are you allowing ungodly Christians into your space? Filling your head with all sorts of non-biblical opinion? (laughs) You know, they could be the yeast that's spoiling the bread. Now, what happens when the person who is the ungodly person is the one whom you're caring for? that they're toxic and they're ungodly what are you to do then well I would remind you that your caring for the loved one has been rendered unto God remember you've sought God's face he's confirmed to you that he wants you to take care of that individual and so you take care of that individual as a service to God your love for him you're being obedient to what he's asked you to do so you care for this person because God asked you to and you do it with the fruit of the spirit however this doesn't mean that you need to be best friends friends with the person Um, you can be kind you can meet their needs you can be caring but you can still do all of that without being intimate with them and by intimate, I mean by allowing them to be so close to your heart that they, that they know you and that they can hurt you that way. You don't have to divulge all your secrets with them. There's just a distance that you place there. And it comes with time, you know, where I have a number of people who I speak with, I'm cordial to, but that doesn't mean I'm going to tell them everything that's going on into my life. I'm not cold with them or anything like that. I know whom I can talk to. And so that's part of being discerning. So as a caregiver, you do need to look at who is around you. Who are the people who are there to truly encourage you? And then, of course, we always need to be introspective and look at ourselves. And then as caregivers who are united in the body of Christ, learn the difference between what the word says versus what your church traditions are and what your opinions are. Look at the opinions that you have to see if they truly are based on scripture or are they based on some sort of tradition. I, just like Paul, am offering a godly opinion based on his word. God has called me to teach. But if I'm not speaking directly from scripture to people, then I'm offering an opinion. You can take it or leave it. And you need to know the difference. Understanding um, that as you grow in your relationship with God, he may solicit you to help others in understanding his word or his will for their lives. And so you really need to understand what is from God and what is not. What is based on God's word and what is not. That's just walking in maturity in your relationship with Christ. Okay, this was a very intimate episode wasn't it we got into all sorts of stuff Um, but I hope it was beneficial and that it fell 
on good soil. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word today. We thank you so much for giving us the good, the bad, and the ugly in your word. That there isn't anything that you really shy away from in your word. That you talk to us of what healthy marriages look like. You you speak to us of what we can allow in the body of Christ and how we can walk that bring honor and glory to you. You know we aren't perfect. That's why our, our Savior came to die for us. But we still have a role in being accountable for how we act, being accountable for who we allow in our inner circle, being accountable to the image that we present or reflect to the world, that the image is supposed to be of you, our Savior, not of us doing our own thing. Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the boasting that we do in our sin. Help us to realize we have absolutely nothing to boast about, that if it weren't for your love for us, that we would be dead in our sins, that we would be doing the very thing that keeps us so removed from you. Not that we would be dead for our sins. We'd actually be alive in our sins, doing the very thing that keeps us away from you. But because you sent your son, because you love for us, we now are dead to our sins. That that isn't our go-to behavior. And just like the church at Corinth, we have problems in our own churches. And so, Father, I ask that you raise up men and women who, with your love, can confront and convict the bodies to do better, to live a life that is pleasing and honor to you, a life that shows our sanctification in you, so that when they see us, they see a people who strive to be who God has called us to be, individually and collectively. Bless the caregivers out there as they continue their season of caring for their loved one. Help them to grow in your word that when this season of caregiving is over, you'll have something else for them to do and their maturing in your word will be essential for the next step. Bless each and every household that is listening today and meet their needs, Lord. Help them to hear you speak to them and to respond with a favorable yes. We love you, we praise you, and we offer this all up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alrighty, go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.